This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Introducing the greatest animated series you've never seen, Lightning Dogs. These canine commandos are lost on a post-apocalyptic Earth and battling the forces of the evil Glampire. It's a tribute to the cartoons and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, and Nerdy Show is hell-bent on bringing it to life. Blocks sold separately. Join us as we document our quest from the moment lightning struck to every world-building session and beyond and make our crazy dream a reality. Roll with the pack at lightningdogs.com. Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. It contains content that might not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Do you hear that? In the cruel blackness of night, an unknowable evil from beyond time cries out. What dark deeds unfold on the streets of Arkham, and which unwitting souls, innocent or impure, will succumb to the maddening call, the call of Cthulhu. Nerdy Show and Peabody Electric bring you part five of the Call of Cthulhu mystery program, tonight's strange story, from above. (sighs) Summer heat got you down? Uh Uh-huh. Well, Peabody Electric has a mechanical marvel that'll blow your woes away. Oh, that's a gust with gusto. The Arctic ice oscillating fan is driven by the mighty power of Peabody Patent's electric motors, offering the speed you need to cool off or freshen a room from soothing zephyr to hurricane winds. This breeze is a bee's knees. Don't let it end. Medical professionals agree only moving air can maintain health and efficiency. And the Arctic Ice Oscillating Fan offers formidable winds at a price that won't chill you to the bone. For the cost of a nickel on your electricity bill, you can enjoy ten hours of bracing freshness. Say no more. I can't beat the heat without it. Indeed. Your icy fate awaits. Just look for the Peabody Electric display at leading electric shops. Our investigators are hot on the heels of the eclectic and potentially quite dangerous sundries that once belonged to collector Charles Pell. The last known location... The Elias Estate, home to tannery operators Woodrow and Mildred Elias. Mountain Man Moses, Kenneth the Gambler, and Oswald the Hobo King have trespassed onto the grounds and, detecting some foul play, or was it horseplay, they've staged a midday break-in in hopes of some answers. Meanwhile, Estelle, Anjana, and Cherry set up a cheerful little picnic at the head of the drive, ready to sound the alarm in case trouble arrives. Ah, here we are. I always come prepared. I have a small picnic kit tucked away in the car. It's not much, but it does the trick. Here, set this blanket out, would you, Cherry? We've also got a biscuit tin, some tea, cups, and a metal canteen of water. We just heat the canteen up on the engine, and it gets hot enough to steep. Anna and I used to do it all the time on Afternoon Johnson India. Better give me a luck roll for that. 
Uh, 60 out of 65. Well then, Anna is pouring you uh, some piping hot engine warm tea. Chamomile, my favorite. Thanks, Anna. So I've been wondering, uh, where did you two meet? The Theosophical Society in Adair. Mm. India was a safe enough place to be during the war, and I deeply connected with the works of Madame Blavatsky and Annie Besant, so I came out to study. She found me in the banyan tree in the Theosophical Society gardens. I was still buzzing from having just started my studies, and there she was up in these ancient branches, positively radiating energy. The connection was instantaneous. We saw each other and just started laughing. It was pure joy. Wow, that sounds... Magical. <laughs> Undeniably so. Cherry, you've clearly got more than a passing interest in the unseen arts. You knew John Dee right off the top of your head. Oh, well, I read a bit. Been to a few seances. No need to be coy, darling. I put my hand on Cherry's. This is an age of great awakening, and it's clear you've heard the call. Well, I've never done any magic. Not like what Crowley writes about. Ha. <laughs> Crowley is a detestable stain of a man. You know him? He's as bad as people say? <laughs> Not by a long shot. The wickedest man in the world is more guilty of self-obsession than half the things he gets slighted for. He and Estelle don't see eye to eye on a few things. To put it mildly, he's a tremendous asshole. He is very much an asshole. But he loves being an asshole, beloved. You're just giving him what he wants. All too true. <laughs> well, now I want to hear everything. <laughs> That'll take some time. Good. That'll distract me from the wait. I really hope the fellas aren't getting themselves into trouble. Kenneth, you made quite a lot of noise busting that door down. But there's no commotion inside. It's totally quiet. Well then, I go right in. Milkman! The house is dark and silent. From this back door, you can see straight to the front door. There's a staircase and a number of other doors along the main hallway. It's easy to tell that this house once saw a fair bit of activity, and obviously sees much less now. It's clearly not been outright abandoned, but like the grounds, the house also hasn't really been taken care of. Any indication that some of these rooms see more use than other ones? There's a door near to you that has a look about it. Well, I proceed with caution, but I go right in. This looks like it was probably a butler's quarters. Cramped, but tastefully decorated, and it looks like it's still being lived in. Moses, your eyes are immediately drawn to a pile of syringes in a box sitting on the bed. Are these empty syringes, or they look like they got some jam in them? <laughs> they look empty. The, the secondary name I've heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, for a box of empty clean syringes is Hobo Gold. Yeah. Am I correct? <laughs> we, uh, we really like those syringes. You know, we use them for all sorts, like uh, for, for marinating turkeys and chickens, as uh, Kenneth would know. You are vast and storied people. Totally legitimate poultry seasoning tools aside, we're here. We might as well search the room. There's an unusual quantity of rope for anyone to just be keeping around in their bedroom. Some rags, some bottles of chemicals, which if anyone has a chemistry skill, you can get a better understanding of. I don't. Uh, gentlemen? Nope. I don't know what any of these bottles are. Except this one. Chloroform. It makes you black out. With these rags, that rope, looks like our butler here is a kidnapper. Long way from Essex. Maybe unrelated? Maybe. Nearby, there's a pile of receipts for chemicals. 
and laboratory equipment. Can I read the receipts with my accounting? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Oh, it's a it's a seventy eight. Okay. I've, I've never seen receipts like this before. <laughs> the good news is that there's nothing terribly unusual about them. The lab equipment purchases are all a couple of months old. The most significant thing that you see is that these are receipts for delivery specifically. And it's to an address that is not this one. Seems like it's on the outskirts of Bolton, possibly nearby. Do we find anything else in this room? That's it. How about the rest of downstairs? I assume we checked all the rooms. Anything noteworthy? Nothing that catches your eye. It's just that the tidiness of this place isn't what you'd expect from a house this nice. Have we found anything that looks like it could have been part of that lot? In the butler's quarters, in the kitchen, you didn't really see too much. You saw a few sculptures and vases and things that were set up kind of decoratively in the main foyer area. Onward to the upstairs, then. You make your way up the staircase onto the second floor. The landing is decorated in hanging scrolls and artworks that obviously have come from the Pelestate. None of them seem particularly of note or exceptionally unusual. You push past them, you make your way into the hallway, begin checking doors. The first couple of doors you come across are unused bedrooms. Their furniture are shielded with dust covers. The next door you enter is a bedroom that is being used. It's obviously a man's bedroom. There's a hunting trophy on the wall decorated with Chinese knickknacks here and there. There's a pile of dirty clothes strewn about in one corner. This looks like it could be Woodrow's bedroom. As you look around, there's a door to the rear of it that leads off into another room. Hmm, reckon I'll just pop on in there. Soon as you open that door, it's a startling sight. It's a study, but it has been covered floor to ceiling in yellow glyphs. <laughs> I, I, I back out of the doorway. Hello, yellow. This insignia, it's been painted and carved into walls, flat surfaces like tables, the carpet, it's a lot to take in. But even weirder, the symbol, every time you blink, it looks a little bit different. It gives you a headache if you stare at it for too long. Uh, I'm gonna stay away from that. I think I might go back over towards uh, that uh, bedroom to see if I can uh, rifle through them knickknacks. While you, you okay? if you wanna go check out that other room, I implore you to, sir. Just uh, I'll be over here. What's the matter, Kenneth? You turned yellow? You know what? Uh, just just shut your mouth and go on in there and take a look. All right. And you have to be a yellow belly about it. Hmm. King in yellow. Oh, yeah. The artist formerly known as the Yellow King. The King in yellow was the subject of a play. Am I remembering that right from our notes? Theoretically, one of the pages in Pell's book read, Connection between Yellow King and the Unspeakable? worth risk of reading the play? Hmm. Even if it weren't for the symbols everywhere, this place would still be a mess. The most notable features are a desk and several boxes that are obviously from the auction house because they look just like the ones at Estelle's place. Jackpot. Hey, did you hear me, gambler? I said jackpot. Yeah, I heard you, damn it. Good for you. So while I'm in the other room, I'd like to do, go ahead and uh, detect hidden on these knickknacks and uh, the clothing on the ground back in Woodrow's room. Boom. Number three. You found coin number three. All right. I found, uh, I found another one of these fish coins. I'm going to go ahead and pocket that. Nobody's around looking at me. You're halfway to the achievement. <laughs> Makes me wish I'd gone to the Miskatonic. Checked out the poop shoots. Yeah, enough about that stupid side quest. What did we find? There are books and scrolls in various languages scattered everywhere in here. They're in the crates, on the desk, on the floor, 
And off to the side, there's a huge stack of a bunch of different kinds of Christian Bibles. Does anybody have a spot hidden or tracking? Yes. Oh, yeah. We got both. You spot hidden first. Okay. Well, yeah, you just roll once and compare it to both of them. On the, uh, the desk itself, which is obviously some kind of mahogany heirloom, this thing reeks of old money. There's a pile of papers, a typewriter, and mounds of handwritten notes. I'll have a look at that desk. You flip through the notes, and eventually you see something that looks familiar. The name D. As in D's Necronomicon and the collected poems of John D. Hmm. Looks like there's two sets of handwriting here. And uh, two newspaper clippings. D reveals much on page 54 of Whispers of Truth in the Darkness. Also, Ritual of Knowledge, page 84. Told by the dreams where to find it, I am the chosen. I will call the ice demons, and their lord will grant me power. Now we're on to the other handwriting. Much nicer handwriting, by the way. Way nicer. Page 84 has none of what Woodrow writes about. Must consult a greater knowledge. Signs in APRS manual that steeds may be the void servants of the King of Aldebaran. Referenced, page 197. Poor Woodrow, missing binding rights. What a beautiful fool. Found, page 388. The will of the mother of a thousand young. Keepers of the ancient ways, life, and many birth. Signs in our time of the black goat that birthed them. If their time has come, they will scour the land with violent and unholy life. If the stars are right and the black goat's children herald the end, the king will deliver me to a new era, returning my brother to me as a boon and cowing all who would stand in his way. He will have his audience. Well, that sounds familiar. Yes, my brother, it says. So, uh, around the part about the goats and the young and so on, there was two clippings attached. One of them's from the uh, Arkham Advertiser, April 18th. Multiple deaths at Arkham Dump. Uh, shocking news from the city garbage dump on the western side of town this morning. Four people confirmed dead by gunshots or immolation, murdered last night under cover of unseasonal and violent thunderstorms. Hank O'Brien Jr., a local farmhand, was discovered alive at the scene and is currently undergoing an investigation for possible involvement. Sources indicate he was armed and several of his known associates are among the dead. This horrendous crime has shocked Arkham's law enforcement community. And in addition to the deceased, reports from the scene indicate hundreds of assorted animal corpses uh, littering the surrounded area. Next clipping from the Arkham Gazette, June 20th. Unknown chemical causes continuing animal deformities. As we have reported previously, numerous cases of animal births, underlined there, with strains and distressing deformities, that's underlined, have been reported by hunters, farmers, and pet owners west of Arkham. We now have more than 150 such reports. Authorities still officially have no comment, and no link has been established to the mass animal die-off, that's underlined, around the city dump in April. Although it is thought to be related to a possible chemical contamination, no evidence has been found to deliver what may be responsible. The mayor's office has released multiple statements declaring that no humans have been harmed and the citizens should not distress. Faculty from the Miskatonic University Chemistry and Biology Departments are consulting with the police and local officials but have yet to find a cause. They request that any strange animal births, unusual puddles, or strange chemical orders be reported. 
Contact Miskatonic University, Department of Chemistry, care of Dr. Rosenfield. Well, it says we don't have to stress. As you guys continue to look through these piles of work and things like that on here, you find a leather-bound manual. Nothing written on the outside. On the inside uh, page of it, in finely typed uh, letters, it says, Arkham Paranormal Research Society. Meeting minutes. Well, it's probably none of our business. We shouldn't open it. Go ahead and open it. There's a bookmark page here. Uh, Oswald, if I'm understanding this properly, this is some kind of chemical process for taking a person, and it says here, rendering them into their essential salts, which, quite frankly, isn't so interesting. But then it says, once in such a state, a person can be brought from death to life. And this is the craziest damn thing. It says you can do this, bring someone back to life, and then just words can make them into salts again. Whatever this process is, whoever wrote this makes some very stringent warnings. Well, that, that's obviously bourgeois. I don't know. I'm not sure it is. Go ahead and uh, make a d6 sanity roll. Three. Okay. This is freaking you out. You gain two points of Cthulhu Mythos. Okay. Well, I've just been rummaging around that room, and uh, is there any other places in the house that I thought was a little bit suspicious that I might want to double check while these gentlemen are finishing up in that room I don't feel like going into? Yeah, as they're going around in there, you find Mildred's room. Looks like it's slept in. It looks like it's continued to be used. It's not quite the mess that Woodrow's room is. She has a few artifacts and things like that that look like they're from the Pell estate. Beyond that, as you continue to kind of wander your way around the second floor, you see some stairs off in a back corner that seem to lead up to the attic. I reckon I'd follow those stairs up there. Okay. Take a look around. It seems like they're taking a lot of time reading. Uh, Got to have something to do, make this trip worthwhile. Now, this is a manor house, so this is a big, sprawling attic. You could live up here, but it looks like it's mostly just storage in this case. There's unused furniture, knickknacks, boxes, things like that. But as you're wandering around, you do see a door to the rear of the place. Reckon I take a peek. Well, as you open that door, it looks like someone did live here, at least at some point, but not recently. There's a peaty musk to this place, a kind of outdoors smell. It's a really weird smell for an attic, but that's far from the weirdest thing. The bed has been pushed up against the wall, and a nightstand sits in the center of the room with a circle of candles around it. The only thing on the nightstand is a silver whistle. Huh, well, all right. I go in, see what's what. Make a spot hidden check. Okay, 34 out of 40. The floor in here is dark wood, but you notice some wood that's darker in spots. Stains, and they look like they're probably blood. You follow the stains to a bureau, and underneath it, you find what is definitely a human tooth. It does not look like it was extracted under fun circumstances. There are bits of jaw attached to this. Hmm. Make a sanity roll. 29? So you're fine. It's a little disturbing, but... Can I look through any of these, uh, the nightstand or the, the bureau, see if there's anything interesting in there? Looks like it's mostly empty. I'm going to go ahead and pocket that whistle. <laughs> okay. This bedroom, it, it kind of backs up to a, uh, an opening glass door that leads out onto a balcony. Well, if there's nothing of note left in this room, reckon I'll make my way out there. You look at the door, look at the balcony. There are scratch marks, almost like somebody maybe took a 
not quite like a hatchet, but like something to the balcony railing. I'll get a closer look, get a feel for these gouges in the wood. Once you're out there, you notice marks on the balcony too. And looking back into the room, you realize some of the marks you might have just dismissed as old scuffs on the interior floor, they're all a part of whatever's going on here. Hmm. I'd lightly toot on that whistle, just to give it a see what the tone's like. We freak out. Yeah, you guys hear up a floor above you a high-pitched whistle. It's an audible whistle, not like a dog whistle. Okay. Yes, very much so. We have clung to each other <laughs> in fear. Moses has jumped up into my arms. We instantly become uh, Abbott and Costello versus Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> it was positively riotous. Do what thou wilt, indeed. He was so red, and it wasn't just the sacrament dripping all over him. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you want to escape the Christian church so bad, then why on earth would you embrace the same practices wrapped in an occult veneer? He's just a bratty schoolboy thumbing his nose. (laughs) And really, if he's going to tout how much his doctrines empower women, then he's got to do a lot better than empowering us to continue being sex objects and walking wounds. We should feel pride in our sexuality and our powers of creation, but we definitely don't need that pervert's permission. I mean, no disrespect to Thalamus at all. They're wonderful people. I just can't stand how much they relish the sentiment of free will and then follow around Alistair like sheep. It's such a waste. Big personalities. They can be like a drug. Oh, absolutely. And the world needs spiritual leaders, even dubious ones like the Great Beast. But anyone who would appoint themselves in a deified station, that's obscene. It's a tool the power-hungry use for control when it's the people who should be in control. And besides, why worship an earthly messiah when you could commune with a goddess? How is that any different? Well, I mean, deities. Be they thought forms, forces, aspects of the collective unconscious, whatever they may be. When they reach out to you through the cosmos and directly into your mind, it's a deeply personal experience. It empowers the individual. It opens your heart to higher purpose and potential. The old ways are the new ways, and the barriers between conscious and subconscious are an ever-thinning veil. There's such bliss to be found. But it ain't all good, right? I mean, what about the Necronomicon? That book felt evil. Estelle, you saw things. Well, I... I put my hand on Estelle's. Everything in nature is a materialization of spirit. There are evil spirits. There are forces we can hardly understand with wretched intent. Horrendous things that are blasphemous to the inherent goodness of the world. Which is all the more reason to make the unknown known. To shed light on the malignancies and burn them away. Yes, and we can only do that by taking risks. Calculated risks. How often do you two do this sort of thing? (laughs) Seeing secret histories of the universe in an evil book? Horse-faced creatures in a boat underground? (laughs) This is a first. But uh, terrible and tremendous as those things are, um, well, Cherry, one afternoon... 
when I was very little, I was in my mother's rose garden, just as the light was tucking away behind the hills. The blooms were in their last moments of vivid clarity before the haze of night, and the perfume was oh, sublime. I was drunk in the beauty of it all. It was a truly perfect moment. And from nowhere, I heard a voice, clear as crystal. She asked me, are you willing to give up everything for the sake of truth? My answer is always yes. I've heard her too, and my answer is the same. Oh, all my hairs are standing on end. Do you hear something? Coming into view down Haversham Lane, there's a dapper-looking gentleman riding a nice bicycle. When he hits the intersection, he turns down Elias Court, headed towards the estate. Well, uh, let's make nice, everyone. I start waving and I say, Hello! Hi! Hello! He stops and seems to take a measure of you for a moment and brings his bicycle around in your direction and says, Greetings, ladies. How, uh, how may I help you today? Well, we're just having a picnic, enjoying the day. Perhaps you'd care to join us. Well, I'm afraid not. I've uh, got quite a full day of tasks for my mistress. Many, many things to do. I'm afraid I've got no time, no time at all. Mmm, a mistress. So are you butling or as in a secret liaison? Ah, sadly, madam, it is the former. But I am quite happy to be of service. Oh, you must work at the Elias estate then. Oh, yes, yes, my apologies, ladies. My name is Pelham, Pelham Grenville, at your service. And your name, madam? <laughs> oh, Gloria Estefan. Pleasure to meet you. And this is Tiffany and Vilenda. A true pleasure. So you know the Eliases, then? Oh, no, no, no. Only of them. Ah, yes. Well, delightful family. He smiles. The smile is too big. Do you mean, like, actually... Not, not like, too big. not like, not like, not like <laughs> physically, not like off. physically monstrously too big, <laughs> oh. but like it's distressing. It's just one of those like uncomfortable looking smiles. He's probably uncomfortable making the smile, <laughs> which only makes it more disturbing. A true pleasure. Uh, have a nice day. Oh, I shall. I shall indeed. And uh, as though it's just some weird thing I'm doing, I'm like, beep, 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 beep. Have a wonderful day on the car horn. <laughs> he grins and does a formal bow to you before getting back on the bicycle and proceeding in the direction of the estate. Back to Woodrow's study. It's in the distance, but you've plainly heard an unusual bunch of car horn beeps. By now, you've looked over the contents of the room quite a bit. There is garbage and detritus everywhere, but one other thing that stuck out was you're not 100% sure what it is, but it might be some kind of printing equipment. And near it, there are a bunch of flyers that clearly say Falsk Industries. I'll pick one up. I'm gathering handfuls of things to bring back. Do we have access to the backyard uh, window? Is the window facing out? This one would be facing out the side of the building. I think we should open the window and just start chucking things out the back to collect. Like tables and stuff? Like the box and books. I feel as though these papers might be uh, all we can escape with now that we know someone's coming. Meanwhile, I hear the horn, and I'm going to start booking it downstairs. Hobo yeah. rule number 43. It's all every man for himself. Yeah, you guys hear faint sound of running up above you, and then the sound of feet coming down the stairs, and then increasingly loud sound of... I ready my gun. <laughs> <laughs>
And then I'm guessing you probably don't go in the room, though. No, I'll probably <laughs> yell out to them, uh, Hey, gents, we better book it out of here as fast as we can. All right, let's go. So are you guys going to go out the second floor window? Clamber out the back of the... I think I just want to run out the back of the house to the stable. The best idea is to go out the door you know is not locked. You're already familiar enough to run through it. Okay, so you guys run out the back? Okay, so yeah. quick question. Who's got the lowest luck? Uh, 70. Not I, says the gambler. 70, <laughs> 75. Okay, 70. Yeah. You're rolling the group's luck. Uh, 54. Okay. You're able to run outside, and as you make your way around the stables, you hear someone going in the front door. Excellent. And then I'm guessing when the door closes, you guys book it across the yard and make your way out? Yep. We don't want to be running across any windows. Right. We'll run pretty far out away from the house laterally and then come around the front of the road and just walk up the road. Like, Like, kind of like on the road. You guys go kind of out to the edge of the garden, run your way out. Those of you out by the car? The car's on. We're backed up in the road waiting to speed off. Well, it's not long before you see three hectic men running at their top speed down the lane, making haste to you. Come on, hoof it, you lugs. Hey, uh, who you calling lugs, jugs? Go, go, go. And you speed off with your ill-gotten paper gains. Where to? Home, darling. Unless you gents have another idea. No, ma'am. There's a lot to read over. Might as well do it somewhere safe and inconspicuous. You had luck, then. You found something? We broke into the house. <laughs> and we found some of the auction stuff. Moses, since you were the one initially reading it, you've been flipping through this mm-hmm. Arkham Paranormal Research Society notes. And it's kind of weird. It starts out really normal, like there's some talk of ESP and spiritual communions and things like that. And everything seems pretty normal. Do you have any occult knowledge? None. Okay. I do. I have experiences, but no okay. learning. Oh, what do you have there? Some notes from something called the Arkham Paranormal Research Society. It's a heck of a thing. Mind if I have a look? By all means. It's all yours. It's your problem now. So, if you're going to be reading through this, D6 Sanity, and you're going to gain two Cthulhu Mythos from the preliminary review. I rolled a six. Oh. My. That's a Sanity loss down to 62. I started at 75. <laughs> Make a uh, an intelligence roll. You just lost six sanity, so let's see if your mind recognizes the the horrors that you're in. I rolled a 30 against my 75. Estelle is sitting there with the book, and she kind of absently says, Does anyone happen to have a whistle? That's funny you mentioned that. I happened to pick one up uh, back at the estate. We heard a whistle. Was that you? Did you do that? Well, well, yeah, I wanted to see what it sounded like. You don't find a whistle and just leave it alone. We thought the worst. I tossed the whistle over to Estelle. As you guys are kind of driving along, you know, discussing things, Estelle is kind of murmuring to herself, reading through the book. Subverting the will of the winged steed. And she begins blowing on that whistle. The car starts to feel cold. There's a shadow overhead. And then there's a heavy thumping sound as something very large has just landed on the roof. Oh, dear. Oh, everyone heard that just now? Yeah, that definitely happened. You're not even sure what you just did. You've got a whistle in your hands. And and you've got the uh, the Uh, Arkham Paranormal Research Society notes in front of you. Keep driving. Can we see anything? Uh, Is the imprint on the roof anything of the sort so we can tell what it is? A couple of dents. I'd take a peek around there. Everybody who peeks their head out, make a sanity roll. My thought is if it's a tree branch landed on top, I don't want to start plugging holes in the roof, but I'm waiting for the gamblers to take a look at it, and I'm ready my rifle. 63 out of 70. 
48 out of 70. So if you make your sanity roll, it's one point. If you fail, it's D6. Estelle, you're the first one to react. You are looking at that book, the page that you have it open to, mentions something about subverting the will of the winged steeds. Subverting the will of the winged steeds. Um, I'm going to roll for occult or intelligence or both. Cthulhu Mythos? Cthulhu Mythos, which is not great, but okay. 36 out of 8. Okay. You're not sure what you've done. In general, your basics occult, like subverting the will, who knows? You don't remember reading this passage at all. Something is definitely up there. I'm getting a lot of drag on the car. Can someone please have a look? Crouched atop the roof of the vehicle is something that's not entirely a bat, not entirely a hound. I feel like that describes most things. It's a giant winged creature. This thing is the size of the largest person you've ever seen. It's big. It's got this feral look to it and these glowing purple eyes. It is just standing there, perched on top of the car. Ah, Jesus Christ! God damn! Well? Uh, definitely some kind of monster, but uh, it's okay. The gambler's gonna fast talk it. Go ahead. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before, and it looks threatening, so I'm gonna pull out my revolver and take a couple of pot shots at it. Will I have looked up there while everyone else is perched out of the car? If, if you want to look up, there were some shocked gasps behind you. <sighs> Shimmy up and over and have a look. Okay, it's time for another sanity roll. Roll the D100 to see if you make your sanity roll. Roll the 97, 62. Uh, so you failed this one as well. You lose another D6. It's a six. Awesome. <laughs> so Estelle freaks out and she says, In the name of the mother, carry me to safety. Kenneth, you're reaching out, trying to get this thing with your gun, but you see this creature reach an arm in and just pull Estelle effortlessly out of the car. No! And it begins to fly away with her in its arms. If you're going to do anything, next is Oswald. I got nothing. I'm going to stare dumbfoundedly. That's a fair proposition. Moses. I was getting ready to plug it, but when Estelle got yanked out of it, how fast are we going? Are we going pretty fast? Probably 20, 30 miles an hour. How high is she right now? Not very. Taking a chance, I'm going to hold off shooting and I'll pull out my notes that I take. And I'm going to go, oh, God, all right. Bind ye stars of demon as a thoth shine. Death to life revisit chosen few. Find ye death in life harmonious rhyme. Okay. Anything? You say the words. feel a strange tingle in your body, but... Yes! Nothing seems to be happening. Shit. I was hoping that creature was made from salt. Cherry. Well, I mean... Something crazy just grabbed Estelle, so I'm getting out my 32 automatic and I'm popping my head out the window she got nabbed from. Make a sanity roll. I made it. Lose one point of sanity. All right, I'm scrambling myself out the window. Oh, holy shit. Uh, that crazy thing is getting away. Ugh, I'm going to take my first shot. 60. Out of 20. What are you doing? You hit Estelle! Cherry holds her gun out and begins blazing away at the creature. She doesn't hit anything. Thankfully, not Estelle, at the very least. Thank the goddess. Kenny. I'm going to go ahead and pull out my 45 revolver and uh, take one carefully aimed shot right towards the head of this beast if I can. Oh, shit. 94. So you lean out the car, but it hits a bump in the road along the way, and your shot goes wild. But fortunately, failed to hit Estelle as well. Damn the lot of you. Stop shooting. Pretty quickly, the beast carries Estelle away. But it definitely flew in the direction of Arkham. It must be taking her home. Isn't that what she told it to do? How would it know where she lives? 
how did it show up, you know, carry her off? We are racing back home as fast as this car can go. Explain! Now! Just what the hell happened back there? The answers are thin and rambling at best, with no real explanations to be given. Soon, the car goes quiet, and the grim mood darkens with the afternoon sky as you speed back to Thorpe Manor. smart little creatures, not so different from us, industrious, cunning, tirelessly multiplying. Lately, it's like I've got a whole tenement of them living in the wall of my flat. I gotta start charging them rent before they charge me. Anyway, unlike humans, should a mouse find itself under the open sky, it becomes filled with fear. The air might as well be an ocean, teeming with sharks. It's only a matter of time before talons descend like lightning and drag the rodents screaming first up into the gulf of sky, and then down into a bird's gullet. For humans, we never think. They can come from the air. All existential malaise aside, we're so very glad you're with us on this journey into the dark recesses of RPG storytelling. We couldn't be making this program without you. Head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow to contribute to our production, even a dollar makes a huge difference, and we have a wealth of bonus content and perks waiting for our supporters. You can also go to nerdyshow.com support for other ways to contribute, including sending us a one-time donation, like Jameson Lalone recently did, saying that they love what we're doing with the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. Your continued support not only ensures that we're able to keep making this and future RPG audio dramas, but also invests in improvements and enhancements to this very program. Thanks to your support, our station managers saw fit to invest in three new pieces of score for this series, bringing our grand total to eight new tracks when all is said and done. Some of this music has yet to be released, but as it's made available, you can find it all at Bandcamp. Any purchases there support the composers, the amazing Ryan and Mike McQuinn. Times might be tight, we understand. But even still, you have in your power the capacity to help us in the most critical way, by spreading the word. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Tell your friends. Share our episodes in your social feeds. Recommend us to strangers. Growing rampantly is the best way to ensure the horror never ends. On Apple Podcasts, users can Extremely well done. I love audio dramas, especially in the old radio style. This is one of my absolute favorites. Thank you for bringing this wonderful entertainment to all us strange HP Lovecraft fans. And I'll... O one B B R nine two nine R R. In series one, they were on the fence, but were won over by Cyril and the unforgettable Father Grandfather. They praised our sound design by Colin Peterson and gave well-deserved props to our keeper, Luke Stram. They conclude by saying they hope and will be donating to hear more of our great show. Their words, not mine. 
Our profound thanks for sharing your love and keeping the fires lit. Without it, who knows what might get in. And now some music for these uncertain times. What will become of Estelle Thorpe? Has she been taken off the board? Is she lost? Only time will tell. Much like Miss Thorpe, the music of Tess Roby is haunting in its beauty and demeanor. Her debut record, Beacon, came out earlier this year via the label Italians Do It Better. I can't recommend it enough. Roby's voice takes you somewhere else. Forgotten ruins in the fields of your imagination. Bright blue skies and stern cold shadows. <laughs> Listen to me waxing on. But something about this song gives me an ominous feeling as to what might have happened to our story's heroine. This is Borders by Tess Roby.
Thanks for listening to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And be sure to subscribe to our series via your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Episode 5, From Above, was written and performed by Luke Stram, Cap Blackard, Nikki Holland, John Sebastian Laval, Bohr, and Joshua LaForge, with additional vocal performances by Melody Pereira, Cynthia Beckert, and James Barbarossa. The series is edited and produced by Colin Peterson and Cap Blackard, and the original score is composed and performed by Ryan McQuinn and Mike McQuinn of Neon Dolphin, home for all your custom music needs and more, neondolphinmusic.com. For full episode credits and links to where you can purchase this series' original score, as well as character sheets and other supplemental material, visit CthulhuMystery.com. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery program is proudly played using Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition, available at fine role-playing retailers everywhere. This program and all programs on the Nerdy Show Network are made possible by the support of listeners like you. With special thanks to our Patreon producers, Isabiz, Allison Parent, David Van Pelt, Evan Baumel, Hoodoo Voodoo, Jamieson Lalone, Dr. Talos, Joshua Westfall, R. Scott Diedrich, Sean T. Red, and Zombie Pops. Join us at patreon.com slash nerdyshow or head to nerdyshow.com slash support for additional ways to contribute. All characters appearing are fictitious, and any resemblances to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This has been the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. Good night. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Hello, and thanks for calling the arena. If you know your party's extension, you can dial it at any time. If your psychiatrist has gone missing, press 3. Press 3. That sounds ill-advised. Life is about choices, man. You and I both suffer from a very rare form of mental illness, right? Yep, yep, that's us. I'm just saying, we're probably not the best private investigators, since we don't know what's real. The waitress at the Chinese restaurant, she told me that I needed to complete three trials to find Sadler. Okay, but how long have you been out of your meds? Three trials? The arena? The old factory, the inventor's basement. The inventor's basement. Exactly. Mama, I met someone today. You're not going to believe this. Half spider, half human. You all have this disorder. We call it the imperfection. Okay, so we just got off the train at a stop called East River between East Broadway and York Street, which I'm pretty sure doesn't exist. We are not a cop show, Charlie. Uh, I know that, but we're friends, and I need my friends. How sure are you that these things are actually happening in real life? It seems like reality can be a little slippery. Charlie! Charlie! They're on my face! Amber, Amber, stop, 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 stop it, stop these it. fucking spiders, they are everywhere. The Imperfection, an audio drama in nine parts. Produced by Wolf at the Door Studios. Out now. For more information, please visit WLFDR.com.